वेलकम टू पिल टू स्केल द पॉडकास्ट फ्रॉम यूपीएस स्कूल ऑफ बिजनेस वेर वी डाइव इन टू द जर्नीज ऑफ टॉप स्टार्टअप फाउंडर्स एंड अनकवर द सीक्रेट टू देयर सक्सेस आई एम योर होस्ट राहुल नैनवा आई एम अ सोशल ऑन्टरप्रनर एंड करेंटली हेड यूपीएस स्कूल ऑफ बिजनेस एंड रनवे स्टार्टअप इंक्यूबेटर ज्वाइन मी एज वी एक्सप्लोर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ स्टार्टअप एंड डिस्कवर वॉट इट टेक्स टू बिल्ड अ कंपनी दैट कैन ट्रूली स्केल family circumstances cancer starting a company at a young age these are not some of the things that you would find in your regular startup founder journey today on this episode we have kanika tekriwal who is the founder of jetset go a private charter plane aggregator company that is doing exceedingly well in this episode we are going to discuss with kanika what has been some of her challenges what has been her journey and how did she arrived at this idea of creating an aggregator platform for charter planes we will also take deep dive into what does it actually take to create a successful business which is not only raising lots of money but it is really profitable on the ground i hope you enjoy this episode and let's get started hi kanika welcome to build to scale podcast series from ups school of business and i'm very very glad that that you are on our show today i want to start asking you what is jetset go thanks much for having me i think you know jetset go has evolved over a period of time sometimes i wake up and i wonder what we are today but uh, primarily we are a private air mobility service we believe in uh, transporting people the fastest possible means from point a to point b and that's what our goal is whether we do it using private jets helicopters or whatever the mode of transport is but um, yeah that's what we do what does it mean like if you were to explain this to the 10 year old me what do you exactly I think do i have to tell the 10 year old you that you know if you want to fly have the coolest flight of your life you should come to jetset go mm-hmm. that's what jetset go does so can i book a flight let's say i want to fly indigo can i book it on jetset go no you can you can only book private jets and helicopters on jetset go either those that are owned and operated by us those that are managed by us or some of which are available in the market private jets and these are expensive right like it's not as like i can't like buy a ticket or how does it work i think I'm it would work curious. on the, what the definition of expensive is you know it, it varies from person to person but yeah i think it's more to do with you know value of time versus cost mm-hmm. and uh, so when you denote that i think they're very cheap by the same time how it basically works is you book an entire plane for okay. yourself or the sectors that you want to fly at the times that you want to fly so you go and you which is why we call it an air mobility service because you know it's about getting from point a to point b mm-hmm. in the most efficient manner without waiting anywhere without having to be dependent on the people's schedules mm-hmm. so if you were to say book private jet with us you would go online choose okay i want to or you can call our customer care or mm-hmm. one of our uh, you know relationship manager and you would tell them okay i want to go from say bombay to you know a place called jharsugoda which most mm-hmm. people haven't even heard of which probably does not have commercial connectivity mm-hmm. i'm not sure right now mm-hmm. but um, and i want to fly with eight passengers at this time or it's only me who wants to fly mm-hmm. you know I want to take off at 2 pm and land at uh, and come back at 4 pm and that's what we make happen so it's like in some sense hiring a private taxi and so either i can have four yeah. people in the plane or i Absolutely. or in the taxi or Which i can Which is why we call ourselves the uber of the skies okay. <laughs> yeah. okay so that's a nice way to kind of put it the you are the uber of the right. of yeah. the sky and can i order this uber any place uh, like as long as the place has an airport yes or a helipad or a helipad so helicopters are also uh, kind of yeah. included so 
So, you know, I'm, I come from Dehradun and right next to my house is the helipad and there are lots of Chardham Yatra guys. I, 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 oh my God, you guys feel bad for you that you must be, you know, going through the noise the entire day. But yeah, so in fact, we do Chardham also. So you do Chardham. Yeah, but uh, not the shuttles. We do uh, personalized Chardham uh, packages overall. But yeah, that's not our core focus area. It's just one of the offerings. So how did this idea came to you? So I think, you know, I was very fascinated by planes since a very, very young age. And um, that's what my, uh, I used to be fascinated with anything that flies. And I wanted to become a pilot, but I come from a very traditional Marwari uh, business family where, uh, you know, girls don't work, girls don't uh, work for others specifically. So when I told my parents I want to become a pilot, my father looked at me like I probably lost my marbles. And I think I was quite hell-bent that I, you know, I want to build aviation as a career, that I want to do something in aviation. But just somewhere, you know, between parental family pressure, society, you'll get lost in things. So I moved to Bombay to study design where I ended up working as a part-time employer as an intern for another, for a big organization who was looking at buying planes at that time. And I ended up sharing my passions and my knowledge and I was given the chance to work in that business. And that's what I learned. And once I learned there, you know, I, it was very clear to me over a period of time when you're working in an industry, I think you understand the gaps mm-hmm. and you understand you know, where opportunity lies. At that time, you really don't see it in that manner. You know, I never thought, oh, the opportunity is here. I was just like, why didn't this happen? You know, there's this book, Stay Hungry, Stay uh, Foolish. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in that because um, that's exactly what happened. You know, Jetset Go was the result of many questions I constantly asked myself as a result of having experience in this industry that why can't things happen like this? Why do planes have to be so expensive? Why do owners have to lose money on planes? Why can't the whole process, as fancy as the industry sounds, I would say pre-Jetset Go, even now to a certain extent, the process of, you know, flying private is not as smooth or as convenient mm-hmm. as it should be. In an ideal world scenario, you would want to pick up a phone and say, I want to fly here. And it happens. No, what mm-hmm. happens is, I want to fly here. Sorry, sir, plane is not available. Sorry, sir, airport is closed. Sorry, sir, you could delay your timing by so much time. Sorry, sir, there is an FDTL issue, two duty time issue. Sorry, sir, this. It's not as easy or as convenient as it should be. Mm-hmm. And that's what we wanted to fix. You know, I had customers tell me about, you know, ghastly experiences where they had situations where, you know, they had booked private jets. And the pure vegetarian and strictly said, we don't want egg also entering the plane. It's a cultural thing. It's a, you know, it's a religious thing. Mm-hmm. And the horror they wish to offer chicken sandwich. And you know, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if you're paying $20,000 to fly Bombay, Delhi, Bangalore, Delhi, you shouldn't be served chicken sandwiches. You should be, it's the least you can do. So it started with fixing these very small problems, which I re- later realized were a very small part of the problems and became were much bigger problems that we could solve. Mm-hmm. So I think, we, you know, which is why I keep insisting that our goal is to enable the fastest point of connectivity in the smoothest possible manner from point A to point B mm-hmm. and be it from ground to air to ground again. And that's how, so I think the, the whole idea of Jetset Go came across after a series of unanswered questions, gaps mm-hmm. that I saw in the market, which I now call, choose to call, you know, opportunities. But at mm-hmm. that time, they were just pure gaps, mm-hmm. pure, um, simple questions, which I wanted answered for myself, which resulted in creation of a business. But airline is a very, very kind of regulated industry, you know, very dependent on, for instance, the prices of fuel, right? So it's a very dynamic, very fluctuating kind of a market. Why go and like solve problem in such a difficult and on top of it, you know, there's this going, you know, this joke that says, how do you become a millionaire? Just say you start with a billion, you start an airline and then you become a millionaire. So, you know, I think we're challenging that status quo and the the place where I come from, I I think in the place where I come from mentally, Mm. I think more the challenge, that's where the business opportunity is, right? So everything was so simple and clear. Everyone would be starting the same. You know, Steve Jobs discovered a space to create an iPhone. Whoever said it was simple, there were a thousand regulations that he had to jump through also. You know, today we talk about the glory that Mark Zuckerberg seen with Facebook, which is this morning I was reading about how he's going to so many legal hassles 
with regard to a great product he's created with someone else, mis- maybe misusing, right? Mm-hmm. The intent wasn't misused. So, which is why I think, you know, great ideas, great businesses are born in the hardest environments, are born in the toughest environments. And entrepreneurs, skill is not, ideation is the easy part, is what I believe. You know, I think everyone has ideas. Execution is what differentiates good entrepreneurs from great entrepreneurs. And what great entrepreneurs do is, you know, they take challenges head on and mm-hmm. they defeat challenges. They don't let challenges defeat them. They're able to strive and strive in tough environments mm-hmm. and hard environments. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm believer that um, if you really have to leave your market, if you really have to build a great business, you've got to have that capability to, you know, not consider challenges to be challenges, but opportunities mm-hmm. that knock on your door. So, you know, I look at the regulatory environment. I look mm-hmm. at the hardness. It's an opportunity for me as to what do I have to fix? What do mm-hmm. I have to change? What can I improve to make this industry not better? And, and I think I've, I was reading about it, about you and, and you have like in, in your personal life, you face many challenges. Like you had a, a health scare, you had, had, you were diagnosed with cancer and then you successfully kind of overcome it. So I want you to kind of go back to that time and if you can share with us that as to what was, you know, going on in your life. And then, you know, as that, that part of your life ended, you came and, you know, said, Jet Set Go. So I think, you know, I, was, I made sure cancer was Jet Set Go and like a joke, but, mm-hmm. um, I think I always say cancer is one of the best things that happened to mm-hmm. me. And, you know, this is where I believe about, again, being hungry, being foolish all the time. If I got cancer now, I would have probably looked at it so objectively and I would have not had the courage to defeat it. Somewhere I would have let it defeat me mm-hmm. to a certain extent. I mean, I don't know. It's all thoughts. But I think, you know, I was lucky. I got it at a time where I was very young and I was very foolish. And I had this foolish faith and belief, self-belief, you know, in myself that I can overcome anything. I still believe that, but I don't know. Now I think, you know, as you grow older and you get more experience, you get to using a lot of analysis, you get to using a lot, validating a lot of theories mm-hmm. and you get to, um, you know, everything has to be a cause and scenario sort of a situation. But when you're younger, especially, you know, I was 21 when I was diagnosed at 20, I'm not sure. And um, to me, it was just like, yeah, so what? You know, we've got mm-hmm. to get through this. I think it was, you have this undenying belief in what your brain thinks at a younger age, right? Mm-hmm. Being obstinate, being stubborn about what you think is right. And that's what, that's the way it was. You know, for me in my head, it was very clear that okay, this is a hurdle that's come up. I have to jump it and I'm going to come out of it. There was no question of not coming out of it. You know, what used to worry me at that point of time was really what after cancer. My worry was not what happens during cancer. How will mm-hmm. I come out of it? It was very clear in my head, I'm going to come out of it. You know, mm-hmm. for me, it was, okay, there's chemo, there's radiation, we're going to get out of it. But what always, always worried me was, what am I going to do after cancer? Mm-hmm. And that was my greater worry. And so then I think it was during this period that I kept thinking of all these, you know, scenarios that I'd seen, all these questions I was asking myself. And that's how Jetset Go was born. And so, you, you know, a lot of uh, students in a, at a university, they always ask this question to us, when is the right time to kind of do a, a startup? And then I'm often conflicted that when somebody's 18, 20, 21, maybe they're too young and they don't see everything that, you know, lies ahead. But even somebody comes to my age and they want to think of a startup, then they have other challenges to kind of handle. What's your view? I think, you know, I'm so glad you asked this because uh, I'm a firm believer in the fact that there is no right time Mm -hmm. to start up. There's no one size fits all uh, Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, I think starting a business is a lot to do with, you know, the investors don't invest in your ideas. Investors are investing in you. Mm -hmm. They always invest in the entrepreneur. Today, if I had to invest in a company, I'm not investing in the company. I'm investing in the capability of the entrepreneur. And I think the right time to start a business is when you as an individual are confident that if you are to lose anything, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got lost, everything is lost. You'll still be okay. You mm-hmm. have that sort of, un- and you've got to be able to put everything at stake. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, I remember when I first started out, I was like, okay, plan A is Jet Set Go, plan B, I registered another company to do this with two friends, plan C is this. And then six months later, I woke up and I said, look, with plan B and plan C, not all plans are going to fail. Mm-hmm. 
you know i've got to be very clear in my head either i make this work or i don't make this mm-hmm. work if it doesn't work i've got to be brave enough to face life mm-hmm. and i think that's very important you know i think every individual has to have mm-hmm. that undying faith in themselves that you know invincibleness where they know that they're going to make this work you know you've got to be able to put everything to stake i have friends who started out when they have three kids you know i've, I've had a couple friend in fact who sold a very successful company recently uh, malika and mohit you know they started a company called momsco they left their cushy jobs abroad mm-hmm. they moved to india and with two babies you know and they started a startup in the fmcg space in a d2c brand and they, i mean it takes a lot of courage to do something like that you know you've got two children who you've got two girls who are dependent on you you've also got two sets of parents right. who are dependent on you and you've left everything you've moved here and they built this company called the momsco which did extremely well they sold it for a whole lot of money i keep making fun of them that half your buddies mine all the time but and you know so it's never a right time yeah. if they could do it with two kids you know and a husband and mm-hmm. wife couple i mean hats off to these guys i have so much respect for them for doing what they did when i look at myself i'm like what did i have at stake you know i knew my parents were always there to put a mm-hmm. roof on my head mm-hmm. so i think there's never a right you know if you keep looking for the right time the right time will never come mm-hmm. if you've got the capability the courage and the faith in your own ideas in your capability you know in yourself then you've got to do it and you know i believe even a 16 year old can make the best startup entrepreneur mm-hmm. so it's not about age it's not about circumstance it's not about you know a lot of people blame starting a business on not being able to raise capital i didn't know how to operate an excel sheet i still hate using excel you know between you and me when i started out and i said i don't know what fundraising is i didn't understand what fundraising was i didn't understand what vcs were you know i didn't know how to raise money i didn't know what a term sheet was but i knew that i could i had this idea that i'm going to make work Mm-hmm. and i think that's what matters you know you don't need to have the fancy and you know i started out in an era where anyone who was raising money had to be an iit iim or mm-hmm. a big uh, poor uh, dropout some those were the check boxes you had to fill to raise money mm-hmm. i had none of those check boxes we didn't raise money we were very profitable and we focused on profitability which is what we consistently focused on even now and so which is why i believe that you know there's never a right time right place right circumstance it's mm-hmm. up to you to take the plunge if you have mm-hmm. the faith if you really want to succeed at doing running your own business you've got to have a lot of faith in yourself to put you know to take risks and challenges which you never thought possible earlier so so you also kind of mentioned you come from a marwadi business family so when you're born in a marwadi business family are you like destined to to start a business how does that happen like how does business comes into the blood you know i think that's something even i consistently keep asking myself and what i firmly believe is that you know when what i've seen growing up i went to boarding school so i didn't even spend a lot of time at home but every time we were at home i just seen my father work really hard and i'm sure every kid sees their father work very yeah. hard but i seen my father work very hard in a very different way mm-hmm. you know he separated from the family business he again started out at a time when startups entrepreneurs nothing new was that was it was desi business mm-hmm. you know it was about earning money for your family to make them survive i saw my father set up an industry fail at it set up another business and you know all our conversations all that i would overhear would be around figuring out how to do this business figuring out how to do that so i think you somehow get that into your you know brain you keep listening to these things and um, just to give you an example you know i did commerce in my 11th to 12th mm-hmm. grade my accounts teacher hated me and i hated maths i got 56 out of 100 in my 10th grade maths and i still hate i i'm not a still at that time i used to hate maths i never paid attention on uh, in any of the classes on how to read a pnl how to make a balance sheet it just came naturally mm-hmm. because of the conversations we had around the dinner table because of the conversations we had around the lunch table you know i never remember being attentive in a single accounting and finance class i just hated the teacher and the teacher hated me so you know you automatically switched off but when it came to giving my exams it just came from somewhere mm-hmm. and you know i mean now if you give me a pnl i can rip it apart if you give me a balance sheet i can tell you in 5 minutes what's working what's not working mm-hmm. so i think somewhere in this you know, maru system of growing up mm-hmm. you end up you know absorbing so much as a child 
And mm-hmm. if you put that to the right use, it somehow comes uh, help. I think it's, it's very interesting that you said like a lot of these dinner table conversations and discussing business gets you a sense of balance sheets and, and P&L and, and that's kind of amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about your business. So if you can like tell me how big is uh, Jet Set Go? Have you raised money or not? How many people work? Uh, how many flights go like in a day? I think, you know, we have one flight a day on an average every minute. There's always a Jets and Go plane in the sky every minute of the day. Every minute. If you, is if you it? average it out okay. overall. And I think we do about 10 to 12 flights a day, mm-hmm. more or less, I guess. And we've got about 200 of our own staff on pay, roughly approximately 180, 200 people on our payroll, with another mm-hmm. 200 add-on consultants and okay. uh, part-time uh, people. And I think turnover-wise, we're at about 400, 500 crores. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure about the number, but we should be doing about 400, 500, 400 crores in this uh, financial year. And yeah, that's about it. I think uh, we didn't, you know, we were very aggressive about uh, profitability from day one. Like I said, I started the business in an era where earning profit was not considered to be the end goal of business. It was about the headlines always were Snapdeal raises so much money, Flipkart raises so much money. You know, it was never about what is the bottom line. And I used to always see, you know, pull out their stats from the web's internet and look at it and say, well, how can someone be losing so much money? You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. A lot of people's bottom line used to be higher than the top line mm-hmm. at that time. And, you know, we were in an industry which was considered, like you said, if you're a billionaire, you want to become a millionaire, start an airline. So I remember the first, I didn't know how to raise money, but the first time a friend introduced me to a VC, they were like, market size is very small, and my instant answer in my head used to be like, there never existed a market for a Blackberry, there never existed a market for an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Someone created the product, put it in front of your face, and that's when you used it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm creating a product for which I'm going to create a market, and that's what I'm asking for uh, value for. Luckily, you know, we only had... We raised very little money initially from our own customers. Mm-hmm. And that's what's carried us through, fortunately for us. And you know, that's what excites me that uh, that's how we've learned to be very frugal. And, uh, you know, we've not created habits of a typical startup where, you know, you hire more than you can uh, probably keep. Like if you look at the current crisis in the US also with all these tech startups, there's this whole crisis where the focus is not profitability. The focus mm-hmm. is valuation, which is where you're seeing so many tech crashes happen. So the whole crypto crash happened. Now, if you look at SVC Bank, I mean, that's not related to fundraising, mm-hmm. of course. But mm-hmm. the whole idea for me has always been to build a business profitably. You know, I'm not someone who's ever focused on fundraising. I believe mm-hmm. if you have the right idea and if you're able to execute in the right way, mm-hmm. there is no dearth of capital in this market. You know, till date, we get a lot of people reaching out to us, wanting to invest, and we've been taking it slowly, conceptually. But yeah, in the coming year, we're looking at raising some serious capital for new initiatives. We're looking at working very aggressively in the EVTOL space. That's where we're probably going to raise. EV toll. What what is that? So these are literally flying taxis which can take you from home to office, office to home. Like okay, flying so cars, more or less. Yeah. It's like science fiction, or is it happening? So it is happening actually, yeah. surprisingly. And um, this there are six OEMs who've been doing a fantastic job on developing okay. these, and we hope to be able to one, be one of the ecosystem enablers in India for the mm-hmm. day. So in, in your business, what are some of the moving parts like which you have to always keep in an Everything's eye a moving part. Uh-huh. You know, there's nothing that's not a moving part. For uh-huh. example, if the weather goes bad, your plane doesn't take off. You know, okay, right. fine. So one customer is disappointed here, but the plane has to go further. The next customer is disappointed and the third customer mm-hmm. is disappointed. And you've got hell breaking news. You know, we're like you said, we're a very regulated business. So, you know, we're dependent on policy, on regulation, on how things happen. Number one. Number two, we're in industry where the nothing of what we use is manufactured in India. Every single spare part is imported. You know, so just to give you an example, when um, COVID happened, the entire supply chain of the spare parts broke down. It's still not restored. Mm-hmm. So we're still struggling with so many parts, with so many uh, mm-hmm. consumables that we need on a regular basis. 
then uh, you know we're a very very human dependent industry mm-hmm. and uh, like a lot of people say okay self flying planes will become a reality soon mm-hmm. i don't think so because you've not even been able to en- enable self driving cars on the roads today planes take off on their own planes mm-hmm. land on their own the planes are fully automated but the reason you need a pilot is when things go wrong mm-hmm. you know that's the time a pilot can react you know mm-hmm. when shit's really hitting the roof that's the time a pilot has to react mm-hmm. and so which is why you know if t- tomorrow say 10 pilots of yours get covid or fall sick together mm-hmm. you're on the ground you know so the, i think uh, we're an industry with so many knowns so many unknowns that you know for a control freak like me i don't know how i survive in this industry mm-hmm. but i want everything to be perfect but nothing's going to be perfect like mm-hmm. i woke up you know i told you i woke up today i was having a bad day a particular supplier told us they're not going to honor their contracts what mm-hmm. can i do i can fight him in court for 10 years to no success mm-hmm. right and so i'm not going to gain anything out of it mm-hmm. so yeah i think you know, it's an industry of a lot of unknown challenges a lot of known challenges a lot of risks mm-hmm. you know which you can do as much risk analysis as much planning as you want but mm-hmm. not everything goes in your mm-hmm. and see one component of of air of airline is the fuel and the fuel prices kind of fluctuate a lot but i guess if the fuel prices change you can't change the price to the customer or can you we do you know so we do absolutely and i think that's the quality it's quality of a smart uh, entrepreneur mm-hmm. that if your input costs go up you have you to pass, be able to pass it on to the customer so then it doesn't yeah. really so much and in effect. fact it's hard it's not easy of course you have to go counsel customers sit with them convince them over the situation is takes a lot of time but i'm a firm believer that you know, if you're providing a value product to the customer if you're delivering what you promise no customer is going to shy away from paying mm-hmm. you what they think you're worth if i were to look at this whole industry i mean one sense is that everybody can fly right like everybody should be able to go onto a plane and kind of fly but you are in kind of market how have you kind of addressed your total market size like what do you think includes so what i think you know our market size increases every day and um, the whole you know what the objective we are working towards and I narrated with an example you know 60 years ago if you were to look at times square you only had horse carriages you had people walking there was no times square there were no big lights fancy lights whatever you know market with people walking a few years later came horse carriages you know and uh, the r- very rich used to drive around horse carriages the others used to still walk 20 years after that came cars again it was only the very very rich 0.1% of the world which could afford cars and if you fast forward to current day world everyone can afford a car or, mm-hmm. or i'd say a majority of the world let's say 40% of the world's population can afford a car right so i think this is the same evolution is going to happen with the third dimension i call this kind of third dimension because where is their place to park cars anymore mm-hmm. you know where is where is the place to build more roads anymore mm-hmm. so which is why i'm a firm believer that private air mobility is where which is why we're looking at ev tol we're looking at you know hybrid models of aircrafts operating and uh, there's a lot of breakthrough that's happening in this space where the capex involved in running these planes is falling down the capex involved in manufacturing planes is going down you know you have this boom plane that is being worked on which is again a supersonic aircraft which mm-hmm. i think get you from london to new york in maybe 3 hours so there's mm-hmm. a lot of change you're going to see in this industry in the mm-hmm. next 5 years and if you look at it this is the only industry that's not been disrupted you mm-hmm. know everything around you has been disrupted but you're still using the same ac 20s that were developed 20 years ago so i think the only industry that's not been disrupted largely due to you know the big infra i mean big capital is already capital companies that are involved in it like if you look at you can't change airports you can't change boeing airbus etc mm-hmm. but that's changing you have so many startups in this space people believing in these startups investing in these startups so i'm quite confident in 10 years from now that mm-hmm. you know your personal mobility will be replaced mm-hmm. by planes flying will become a lot cheaper and you know i always joke that the jetsons era is not too far away it's going to happen very soon and and what do you think needs to kind of change maybe in the regulatory environment or somewhere else for like this private mobility to become really popular like so like, i think both you know it's a it's a cat and dog situation because it's very easy to say what needs to be changed what needs to be fixed mm-hmm. but it's very hard to do mm-hmm. in a country like india with the population that we have there are so many security safety issues that one needs to look out for mm-hmm. you know if i was a prime minister i would say i have the world's hardest job 
because it's very hard to run a country with the diverse geography that we have. You know, you've mm. got international threats, you've got domestic threats. It's not an easy environment to uh, flourish in. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, what the regulators currently doing and how far ahead it is, is very, it's amazing mm-hmm. for the Indian environment. I think they're working very consensuously with industry inputs, with industry drivers and how to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite happy with the, the way things are going. Mm-hmm. And what are the future plans of you and the company? What, what are I you think, think? I, I, like I said, I have been um, doing business in my blood. I don't use these fancy words like entrepreneur, startup and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, it's always about building businesses, adding mm-hmm. more value. So I do have a couple of other businesses in mind, which I want to execute two to three years from now. Okay. That's something that I'm very keen on. Mm-hmm. And um, the other part of it is also for the company. I mean, I think eVTOLs are the future. We've onboarded a great team to work on that. And like I said, you know, our focus is always going to be on personal air mobility. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're working towards. Mm-hmm. And I often, you know, ask this question to founders too. When will you know that you're successful? I think, again, successful, you know, success is a very relative word. And uh, the meaning and the definition differs from person to person. You know, for me, being successful is being able to wake up in the morning without uh, having to worry about anything Mm -hmm. and be able to go to sleep without having to worry about anything. I think that's why excessively Mm -hmm. that's happiness, that's success, that's everything for me. So I think it really depends, you know, uh, from person to person, what you want from life. And so what do you want for life? Like I said, I just want to wake up happy and go to sleep happy. Okay. And when still we continue to run like an, uh, yeah, a absolutely. charter airline business and have <laughs> it's all these moving parts. It's very hard to do that when you're running a private jet company. No, Kanika, thank you so much uh, for having this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. What makes me so glad is that like you accomplished so much. You have gone through adversity and this is really an example of true grit. And the stuff that you said about that, if you know in your mind and you can do it and then and you're happy to lose everything on that idea. And you will be successful. So thanks very much. Thank thanks you so much. Thanks very much for coming on to our show. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you found this helpful, please share it on social media and tag us. We would love to hear your feedback and make sure to subscribe Build to Scale on your preferred podcast platform.